Who was the customer? What was the store of the future going to look like? Were we doing the right digital? Was our website where it needed to be? Asking those key questions, doing the key pieces of research that you need to do is then what really unlocked growth. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. And if you're anything like me or my long-suffering producer, Hillary, you have probably experienced some friction when ordering furniture, especially lately. Well, today's guest, Sheila Erickson, the Vice President of Marketing and E-Commerce at Slumberland Furniture, wants you to know that that doesn't have to be the case. And when she talks about reducing friction, she's not just talking about supply chain issues. She's been finding ways to create a great digital and in-store experience for Slumberland customers that have resulted in increasing e-commerce sales by 500% and conversion rates by 1,000%. So how did she do it? Find out right here. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Sheila, where I want to start with you, I'm looking at some of the stats of things that you've done around Slumberland. And I see things like increasing e-commerce sales by 500% and conversion rates by 1,000%. And at first I was like, are these numbers real? Of course they're real. It's Sheila. So I want to kind of hear about what you've been up to at Slumberland Furniture. Yeah, I do get that question a lot ever since I put that out in sort of in terms of results. So Slumberland was, let's just call it like a diamond in the rough, right? Um, And when I got here, I thought we actually had a lot of barriers up to shopping. And that's sort of not something you see every day. And I knew that we had a really long runway ahead of us, but I needed to first clear all these barriers out. I like to focus on like, you know, when you want to get something going, there's always like a short term and a long term. So short term, I was looking for a bunch of quick wins to generate some growth while we developed our bigger, longer roadmap. But back to kind of like, how did we grow things so much? There were these barriers in place. They were things like, Oh, you had to have an email address to add something to the cart. Oh, we didn't have free shipping. We weren't doing uh, enough smart retargeting. We weren't incentivizing people to join our e-club, like et cetera, et cetera. Just a lot of like really basic barriers. And the amazing thing is like when you clean those up, you will really just enable and unlock growth. And then of course, furniture benefited from COVID. There was a huge demand wave with COVID COVID, as everybody started spending so much time in their homes. So I like to think that uh, we got the website in a really great place. And then once the demand came, we were completely ready for it. One thing it's funny, we talk about this all the time, but I'll tell you, free shipping is just like one of those tiebreakers. And I strongly believe you have to have it every day. Don't make me give you anything to get it. Just give me free shipping. And it's just, you know, shipping can be really expensive in furniture. So 
just those easy things. Let's clean it up and get the system ready to handle the growth. And then we started doing the really cool things. Yeah. Okay. So to talk about the more foundational things, was there any pushback around? I mean, to me, those things sound like, oh yeah, obviously take away the friction of the purchase, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure there are probably a lot of strong viewpoints. I mean, coming into a company that was, you know, created, I think in the sixties and there's probably people there who are like, no, shipping has to be paid for. No, we need an email address. Like, tell me how you went about, you know, kind of leading the charge on changing things that to you maybe were obvious, but to others were like, there's a reason we have this. Right. And that's a really great question. And um, when I came here, you know, I, I said, we will have a test and learn mentality. And so anything we do, of course, we just make sure that we can undo it uh, if we need to, but it's test and learn. And that's how we do everything here. And so that helps give people a lot of comfort in that anything that you try isn't going to be permanent. And if it's, you know, hurting the company, you can undo it. Um, I did have a, a CEO who was very interested in us um, paying a lot of attention to e-commerce and really making it our flagship store. So he was super supportive of growth, of changing out partners, of doing all of these things. He's very pro-testing, as in pro-testing, test and learn. So that uh, helped a great deal. Got it. It was also interesting. I saw that I think you guys grew the in-store traffic as well when all other in-store traffic was down. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on that piece. But if that was the case, how did you go about increasing traffic in all the areas? Yeah. So I I lead both marketing and e-com here. And so I'm really proud of the work that we've been doing to revitalize Slumberland. So I've been here not quite three years. And when I got here, there was a lot of things that were in need of modernization. So the marketing events, and, and I lead all marketing and sales events, and uh, they were all kind of old and outdated. The advertising and our look and feel was old and outdated you know, the e-commerce site had the barriers up. There was a number of things that again may sound kind of basic, but go really, really far when you are trying to clear your path to growth. Um, Consistency of advertising, consistency of your look and feel that you put out in the market, making sure that all of the marketing basics were in place. So uh, I have a CPG background and in CPG, you kind of learn the best of how marketing is supposed to go. And, you know, you have... Uh, certain tools in your toolkit and things that you put in place. So you have your vision, you have your positioning, you have, you know, your target customers and how you're trying to talk to them. And you just get all those things lined up and make sure that your advertising talks to them that way. And I feel like our market was sort of hungry almost for us to do better because consumers responded really well when we modernized our advertising, started advertising more towards younger people and just doing much, much stronger digital than we had been before. Digital is just, we are a digital first um, marketing team here. Uh, Digital is a perfect place because consumers start their journey shopping for furniture online. Now, luckily for mattresses, and mattresses, of course, with a name like Slumberland is a big part of what we do. Mattresses, most people will actually still go in store and start their journey there. But with furniture, boy, I'll tell you, we know the second that you are like interested in furniture, Um, We are out there listening, watching, learning. And the second you kind of raise your hand or identify yourself that you might be somebody in the market for furniture, uh, we are going to capture you and then remarket to you, move you through the funnel and then close you out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you were bringing these new initiatives to the company, I mean, were you taking it from past experiences or were you going and kind of auditing the market and seeing maybe what like these new D to C furniture companies were doing? Like, how did you go about deciding what was best for Slumberland and was, you know, up to date with like what people were connecting with. 
Yeah. You know, it's all of the above. I've worked in marketing uh, for longer than I want to admit on this show. You have a lot of good brands behind you too. I was looking at your past lives right. where you've been. I'm like, oh, wow. she's uh, She's been in a lot of cool spots. Yeah. And when you've worked for big companies and big CPG where they teach you kind of the right ways to do it. And then I've worked at agencies uh, and then I've also worked at a startup. And so you just get this range of, you kind of know the the what you should do and what you should all have in place. But then when you've worked in that smaller, faster environment, you realize that need to go fast. You learn how to go fast and you learn how to take your experience and say, I don't need to do steps one through 10 in this process, but I do need to do like one, two, and seven to minimize risk. And then uh, with my CPG background, that naturally brings in a strong consumer research background. So if I go back to your question of how did we make this all happen, when I got here, you know, I, I identified that there were some key questions that the company did not know. And what's funny is I do, I do hear many companies also say this. And like one of the number one things was Slumberland did not know who its customer was. And so one of the first things I did was some CRM analysis. And that told me what I suspected, which was that our customer was old. Mm-hmm. And an old customer does not need a lot of furniture, right? You need to be aligned with younger people. And so we actually turned that around and did that remarkably fast. And again, I think, you know, the young people had a good impression of us. And of course, we did all that through like equity studies and things like that. But we just weren't talking to them. So but like getting the basics right, who's your customer, you've got to know who your customer is today and who you want it to be in the future. Today, we have the vast majority of our customers are younger. So that's been a huge part of our success. We've actually grown all of our customer groups. So we didn't want to lose our older folks that grew up with Slumberland. Yeah. We just gained more on the young side. So who was the customer? You know, what did our store, what was the store of the future going to look like? Were we doing the right digital? Was our website where it needed to be? So really like um, asking those key questions, uh, doing the key pieces of research that you need to do is then what really unlocked growth. Yeah. I mean, you say it, it sounds so easy, but I'm thinking like, man, as a brand that's been around for, you know, a while and has an older customer group. I mean, I'm thinking about companies that I know right now, like, you know, I grew up, you know, around like Boscovs. I don't know if you know what that is. Like I grew up around these older companies that have a really hard time. They're like trying to connect with the younger generation. They're trying to get new consumers in, but I just don't see it really happening. So I'm like, how did you guys go about being like, we're now going to go after a whole new demographic and it actually worked. Like what were some of the ways that you went about that to kind of transform the company so quickly? Sure. So first, you know, I took a hard look at how did the brand look? Like what look, feel and tone were we putting out to the market? And in Slumberland's case, and I see this in a lot of furniture companies, they were putting out um, kind of a different sales event every five to six weeks that looked really different. There was not enough consistency. The next thing I looked at is when was the last time the brand had really been refreshed or had it changed? And did its look in general speak to younger people, which we did through a combination of research as well as just, you know, managerial judgment. And uh, Slumberland's previous branding was kind of, was kind of dark, literally dark, like kind of dark reds and grays. And it had been the look they had for a long time you know, working with experts that know what colors young people are attracted to and things. That is just not something that young people are attracted to. Mm-hmm. They're attracted to bright, light, yeah. happy. Look, <laughs> right behind us, bright, light, happy. <laughs> bright, light, happy. So uh-huh. the marketing and advertising look, tone and feel was not aligned with younger consumers. I would say the sales events were not aligned with younger consumers. 
the marketing mix is what I would say if you if you just wanted me to answer this with one answer, I would say the place that I that I changed things that had the biggest impact the fastest was in the marketing mix. So when I you know, your marketing mix is basically just what you're spending against all of your marketing elements, right? And so when I got here, you know, uh, X amount of the spend was going against things that primarily reached older people. Mm-hmm. So these mean things like preprint insertions in your newspapers um, and direct mail. And of course, we did a lot of TV and everybody does a lot of TV and that still works really well in furniture. Mm-hmm. But all of those things and where we needed to be doing a lot more of was email marketing, text marketing, connected TV, not just broadcasting cable. So just every part of the marketing mix changed. All of the older elements, we retained a portion of them because they're still important to some channels, but we just dialed them down a great deal. So direct mail and preprints dialed way down and we spent more time on what our digital ad was uh, and how that looked online because people come onto our website and they click on that weekly ad. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to, you know, people just want to see what's on sale. Give me that, you know, what's the easy shopping. But so changing the marketing mix absolutely at the same time as we were changing our sales events is what had the biggest impact. Got it. Okay. So you go from having, you know, kind of like one channel that you're getting in front of people to all of a sudden now you have all these channels, all this mm-hmm. data, all these new customers, new ways of reaching people. I mean, what did it like, what did the tech transformation behind the scenes look like to make all these pieces talk to each other and work well, or like maybe which pieces were you most excited about to be able to like install and get working together? I'm sure people are kind of like, what is Slumberland built on? Like, how do you guys have all these pieces like working so well together? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is on the retail side, we have what we would call a bunch of technical debt. Mm-hmm. We have some really, really old systems. And then here we are on the web, you know, like on the website, we're on Commerce Cloud and it's a great, you know, good bones, great system. Um, and then we're doing like this really sophisticated digital. So what we've had to do and what's been a challenge, but we've done it, is the matching up of these systems. And there's still some things that we can't do, but there are some ways we've kind of gotten around it. And ultimately, I would say we have huge wins because we connect our online and offline sales data. Yep. So it took some work, but that was a way, and that that really unlocks a lot of interesting insights for us. So we run a huge digital advertising funnel. So, you know, top of the funnel is awareness, middle of the funnel is consideration, bottom of the funnel is intent. And we run ads, you know, all across the funnel. And because we have our online and offline sales connected, we can really analyze how consumers are engaging and responding at all different levels of the funnel. And then because I lead both e-com and marketing, you know, one example of this might be when I find that people are responding really well uh, to a fireplace ad. And then we might look and see that Fireplace is a really trending search on our site or even trending across, you know, Google broadly, you know, uh, my whole team will know that and we'll say, okay, let's get that on the homepage right away. And so there's just some really cool things that we can do. Uh, But I would say, you know, the necessary elements are uh, great digital, great bones of a website, somebody like a Salesforce, and then you've got to just work to connect your online and offline data. Yep. When you were having all this connected, I mean, you said all of a sudden you have all these great insights. Were there any surprises maybe you or the leadership team saw where you're like, I had no idea, or like, this is going to change the way that we sell or do things or market. I mean, tell me about maybe some of those, yeah, just surprising insights that came about. Yeah. You know, definitely finding out that our, that the customer was 
old. Yeah. It was too many of our customers were old. People were surprised by that though. I'm like, I feel like that should be like, oh yeah, we've been around for a while. Of course they maybe are. And we do right. print mail for all of our advertising. Of course. Right. You know, and it's not that we didn't do TV and other things. It's just yeah. that coming in and evaluating the marketing mix for me, it was way too much direct yeah. mail and preprint. Yeah. So it just needed to be modernized. It's not that that was all it was doing. So we'll have to, we'll have to adjust that. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, that was, that was definitely a surprise. Um, another thing that I did when I came here was just do some basic consumer research. So if you go back to that, um, to my CPG experience, something a brand would do and any big consumer brand is you are running at least a once a year, uh, just sort of a basic study, you know, that includes brand equity, consumer perceptions, you know, what am I doing well at? What am I not doing well at, et cetera, right? To just take that pulse. And Slumberland, like a lot of other furniture companies, I would assume they're family owned and they kind of grow. They didn't do that kind of thing. So doing like a, a nice, large baseline quantitative study also gave us a bunch of insights. And, you know, I'll just give you one example, um, you know, with the name Slumberland Furniture, but, you know, obviously it was Slumberland because it started with beds. But we advertise furniture all day long. Furniture is the lion's share of our business, although we do a huge amount in mattresses too. So it was a good way to check in, like in the quantitative study to say, well, how many people actually think of Slumberland and don't know that we sell furniture? And what we found was that people kind of knew we sell furniture, but they weren't, they weren't sure. Like the amount of people that were aware of us, but didn't know that we sold sectionals was like... Uh, less than one in two people knew we sold sectionals and we're, we're advertising sectionals all day long. Mm-hmm. Right. And so one change we put in place with that underneath the name Slumberland Furniture, we've added an identifier that is called home sleep decor. Mm-hmm. So just every time somebody sees that brand name, it's going to help um, instill that. Yeah. And all of these things we do, you know, uh, whether it's all these things, like they've added huge growth to the website. We had times when we were growing so strongly in stores and now that's way more of a challenge now that we're on the other side of the COVID mountain of demand. Yep. Um, but yeah, we've had some really great successes and, um, you know, just modernizing and turning around this, you know, this wonderful old family company uh, has been really fun. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I, lo- I love these stories. So, I mean, when I think about, I talk to a lot of people who are maybe D to C companies fast growing, but like definitely mm-hmm. D to C, they haven't been around as long. And I haven't really heard many of them mention brand studies, really. So I'm like, uh oh, like they're missing something here. If like all I mean, I've talked to at this point, hundreds of companies have come on this show and very smart leaders, but I haven't heard many people unless it's from more established companies talking about doing brand studies. How do you think maybe these um, smaller companies should be thinking about this? Like how early should they be thinking about it? When should they implement it? How do you build a good study? How do you make sure it actually gives you good answers? Like what would your advice be for those people? You know, I think that, and I love the smaller states. I love direct consumer. I love the venture capital space. So I'm going to say this is one of those, there's there's a lot of things that the bigger old established companies do that you don't need to do, right? You'll, I, I'm going to say you'll kind of know when the time is right. Um, if, you're, if you're really growing and you have some key questions, then maybe that's the time you pull something in. But like so many direct to consumer companies, they start out and they're doing things just faster, cleaner, better, more efficient. That's why I like mm-hmm. to keep an eye on what they're doing, right? Like yeah. when you're starting with a blank slate, it's really easy and clean to do things. You know, but Slumberland will turn 55 this year. And so this was a good time. And maybe it would have even been better if it would have been 10 years ago, like, you know, after a period where they had added a lot of stores, 
like it, it's kind of like I'd say after periods of intense growth, that's probably the time that you know, all right, let's do some sort of benchmark study here. Uh, and there's just tons of great, you know, basic consumer research firms out there that would, you know, just any search on LinkedIn that would want to work with any small company. And usually they want to get in with the smaller companies so that they have them as a as a customer for life. But a basic brand benchmarking study, like tell me what are my competitive advantages versus my consumers? And if you find you don't have any, then you know you're in trouble. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. When you're talking to your customers and, you know, learning more about how they perceive you guys, were there any maybe new expectations that you haven't really been expecting, especially in the past maybe like six months when things have been changing again, of course, like very quickly? Has anything new popped up where you're like, all of a sudden our customers want this or they want to be able to buy from here or do this where you're trying to like meet them quickly where they are? Definitely. And one thing that is fun about having um, a consumer research background, but uh, leading e-com is that uh, I don't know if this is unique. I like to think it's slightly the uni unique, but recently I did a survey where I looked at people that have been on our website and gave us their email, right? So these are people that are going, hey, I am signaling, I am in the market to buy from you and they get an incentive for doing that. But then they didn't purchase either online or in store. And then I surveyed them and I said, you know, what can we do to like serve you better? And that really showed me what I suspected, but is the big area of friction right now. It is all about what is in stock, mm -hmm. in stock merchandise and furniture because of the supply chain crisis uh, and prices. It's just really hard. And there's um, just not one set meaning either for what in stock means across our industry. Mm -hmm. For some of my competitors, it's kind of hard to find their in stock items. For Slumberland, it's a nice, you know, filter on the side of the, you know, running down the left side of the screen. And at Slumberland, an in-stock means you can get it uh, in two to three days. It's incredibly fast. Oh, wow. That's insane compared to when I just bought my couch and it took like a long time, three months right. or more. <laughs> that is the number one uh, place. And that's, and that's a newer problem. It's like, mm -hmm. it was a problem for the last few years, but now everyone knows about it, right? Yeah. Like the secret is out. It's yeah. like a year ago you were hearing it, but now everyone has their story. And some of my competitors, you know, what they're in stock means is, you know, likely to ship in three to four weeks. Well, that's not really in stock. And it's really hard to plan on and predict what's going to be in stock and then advertise against that in some of the longer lead advertisements. But that is definitely an area that consumers are having a lot of pain. Yeah. I mean, are you taking that knowledge and kind of applying it to your marketing? Like you can get this couch in two days or like even on the product page being like available tomorrow or whatever it might be. Like, are you using that to your advantage? Because I do feel like you have a big advantage compared to, I mean, I was shopping for couches at 
big brands like the Pottery Barns to smaller brands like I think Loveford or whoever I ended up buying from. And they were all, I mean, they did not tell me. No one told me until it was like the checkout right. page and then it ended up being delayed anyways. But like, how are you using that advantage, you know, in a way that actually like helps show people quickly that they can get something even if they don't expect that? Right. Um, recently, just between December and January, I did a sales event that was all about what is in stock. Mm -hmm. And I brought it to life both in store and online as much as I could. So in store, you would walk in and there were big tags and there still are on what is in stock. And then mm -hmm. what, you know, and what yeah. does that mean? Um, online, our ads would put people onto pages that were pre-populated with what was in stock. So if you clicked on an ad, Stephanie, that said, you know, couches in stock, you know, over 20 couches in stock right now which would explain, you know, and can be in your home within a week. And then you'd click on that ad. It wouldn't just take you to our full couches page. It would take you to a page pre-populated with which couches were in stock. So um, nice. But also things <laughs> like on the website, across the top, we have a space for some banners. We would highlight with, you know, we'd actually highlight like with arrows, like you can filter by yeah. in stock. And we moved the in stock filter up much higher so mm -hmm. that people would see it. So important. I mean, it's like the the little things like this, especially for this industry that I feel like are the game changers that you actually have to like listen, like you said, to the customers and understand what are the pains? What are we feeling? And yeah, I haven't seen anyone else really doing that yet. So kudos to you all for spotting that trend, jumping on it. Well, thank you. It is a huge deal in furniture. Um, and so I'd like, I think we're doing as best as we can with it. And I still wish it was better. Yeah, yeah. So what are you all like, what are you experimenting with right now? Are there any projects that you're kind of like playing with that maybe half your team is like, Sheila, that's not going to work out. And you're like, I'm trying it anyways. Like, tell me about the riskier things or more exciting things. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, we have, I don't know that it's risky, but something that we're, that we're playing with is we have a virtual designer tool on our okay. website. So it's an artificial intelligence tool that was totally developed by designers. And so if you put your couch in your cart, Stephanie, um, and you engage with this tool, it pops up in a few different ways. So we're trying it in multiple places throughout the site, which again, doesn't sound that risky. Um, but it's a really cool tool. And when people engage with it, we have really phenomenal results. And it'll show you what you know, rug and chair and things go along with it. And it's not just like based on color. It is it was developed with how a designer sees things, um, you know, not styles, arm cuts, you know, legs and just, you know, all sorts of things. So that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. It's an AI tool that basically once you put a product in your cart, it's kind of matching things based on a designer's perspective of like these things go well together and then showing the concept of like that room or those things together. Is that how to kind of think about it? Yeah. On the screen, you'll see multiple categories and you can scroll through different items within each category. So whether it's a rug or a chair, the way they work together, it's not even necessarily coordinate is what's really cool when it um, comes to life. Got it. That's cool. So that's a fun thing. Uh, another thing we've had great success with is um, the way that we identify, track and retarget the anonymous users that come to our website. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been working out really well. We just keep going with kind of a test and learn mentality. We're um, it's so funny, but a great email system uh, is just is so important. And then now that we worked hard to connect that on and offline data, um, you know, we can go into our email system and go, okay, I want to talk to people that bought a mattress, let's say six to eight years ago, because 
a lot of people keep their mattresses for longer than that, but really six to eight years would be a great time to replace it. And, you know, and to be able to send them an email with a special offer and maybe even a free pillow giveaway, if you just come in and try out some uh, and make it really worthwhile for people. So just a great email system. It's funny how much growth that that can unlock. Yeah, yeah, agree. So now thinking about retail, you're having people come in, try the mattresses, like, what are you betting on the future of retail? How are you all thinking about, you know, reshaping or you probably already are like re- rethinking about the retail experience going forward? Yeah, we do. And we have a store of the future Ooh. plan for Slumberland okay. that is already out there in some of our markets and really exciting. But within that, over the last year, we did something really cool and new in our sleep department, which we call Sleep Solutions. What I love about this story is it's a blend of marketing and e-commerce. And a blend of what I'm going to call good old CPG insights, right? So the best thing in the world is when you find a strong consumer insight. At my time at Slumberland, I had come across this really interesting insight where um, in some research, I found that women didn't want help from salespeople in the mattress department. Uh And so I explored that a little bit more. And just found that there that this is just for, I'm going to say most women, a really uncomfortable process. And in general, mattress shopping is no fun at all, right? Nobody wakes up and says, oh, I get to go mattress shopping today, right? Like nobody ever wants to do that. It's risky. It's expensive. The thought of returning it is awful. It's just, it's just not, it's not fun. And then women in general... Um, and I did this little you know, piece of research, kind of looking for a nugget like this, but I got it. And my research said that more women would rather go to the dentist or the DMV oh my. than go shop for a mattress, right? Oh, no. Yeah. And every usually when I tell women this, they're sitting there nodding. Yeah. I mean, I definitely get it. But yeah, wow. especially there's just this whole the lay on the bed or whatever. But in general, with mattress shopping not being fun, it is, it is just confusing Uh, You go into a store, the salesperson has all the information, you don't have any and you may have researched for hours online, and you think you know what you're doing. And you come in and they say one thing to you that makes you think, Oh, my gosh, I don't, you know, I don't anything. So it's super confusing. And so through my time here, and through like our sales experts, there's something that I learned. And when I, when I learned it, and then real and also knowing how much people don't like mattress shopping combined it, I'm like, this is a huge win. The thing to learn about mattress shopping is this. The support of a mattress is completely different than the feel. And so the best way to describe this is an example. Like, Stephanie, you might come in mattress shopping, and you're going to walk up to a salesperson and say, I need a firm mattress. And what you are really saying is you need a mattress with great back support, right? Yeah. But the support, which we call back support, and the feel of a mattress, which is like the softness, they are totally different things. So you can have a mattress with a five out of five back support. It is super supportive, but it's like the softest thing you've ever slept on. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. (laughs) I know. Okay. So this is the insight. I never say firm. I'm like, I don't want to sleep on a rock. I'm like always soft. And then sometimes I'm like, uh, maybe too soft. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Right. So you need that good back support and you like, you like super soft. Mm -hmm. So people don't know that. And then when you combine it with the fact that mattress shopping is no fun, how did that all come out and what did we do with it? We created a system by which every bed is rated uh, for back support. We call it back support because that's what people are actually talking about. It's rated for back support and for feel. So you can walk through a slumberland or be online 
and look at a mattress and like on our online experience, you're going to go, I want a firm, well, I shouldn't use the word firm. I will all say, I want like great back support or very good back support. So you're like, I'm a four out of five and either of those, I'm not looking at anything else. You can filter by that. But then you can also say, I'm looking for a really soft bed. And so it will show you exactly what mattresses fit that. And the in-store experience is really cool too, because every bed has this coat like kind of laid out on the headboard of the bed with this clear rating of what each mattress is rated, as well as a bunch of other factors. Like, does it ship in a box? Is it antimicrobial? Is it, you know, this or that? So all the ratings are right out there. So when a consumer comes in, they can shop self-guided. They're explained the difference between like the different kinds of mattresses and the whole department is color coded. And that same experience was developed online Mm -hmm. and we've had um, great results with it. But that is how like we are truly doing something very different in the furniture and mattress space um, where we're cleaning up consumer confusion and solving the problem of mattress shopping not being any fun. Oh, I love that. I mean, it's it's always a good reminder, like outside of even furniture, why you need to like speak your consumer's language. And if you look at like all these other industries that have kind of done that, you look at, you know, tech where they start with all the specs of something and you get on there and you're like, I don't know how much memory I need. I don't know, you know, what kind of like Rams or whatever they need. They're displaying it in a way that they don't understand. And then all of a sudden the industry starts shifting and it's like, it can hold 1000 photos. It can hold this many texts or whatever. And they like put it in our language. Right. And I haven't really thought about that for the furniture industry. It's like they had all these specs there, none of which helps me understand like, oh, here's the exact one I want. Or I'm going to stay away from these 10 mattresses. It's super smart. Yep. And I think when you're just, so the word, they're putting it in the same language. Now the consumers and the salespeople all have the same conversation. Mm-hmm. And then if you want salesperson help, they can guide you and help you a little bit. But if you don't, it's all right there for you or all the content is online. And I am just uh, a number one fan of empowering consumers, giving them the data, letting them make the choice. I mean, it, it frustrates me to no end. Um, you know, when I if I shop online somewhere and I'm tagged in big data as having certain characteristics, mm-hmm. right? And like I go onto a site and they're, you know, showing me things for a woman 45 plus and I am on there shopping for a 16 year old daughter, right? Yeah. And I cannot stop the onslaught of the ugly, you know, jean jackets and things coming my way, right? Like, so put like consumers have more control, you know, uh, put them in control, you know, even out the conversations. I mean, that, that does kind of show where the market started going. Like people started letting tech take over to a point where then you really couldn't get out of like the loop that they had built for your profile when you're like, no, that's not who I'm shopping for. That's right. not what I'm trying to look at. And it's like it was forcing people in a direction that maybe was actually more harmful than, you know, helpful. It wasn't very efficient. <laughs> right. I also think there's a huge issue where right now with marketers need for data being balanced against uh, delivering a good, clean shopping experience. Mm-hmm. So go online to any website. Do you want free shipping? Do you want 20% off? Yes, of course I do. Give me your email. Of course, no big deal. But then you don't get it unless you also give them your text, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is just a bad shopping experience. You know that that discount is available and you know you can't get it until you kind of like uh, give them something that you may just feel too private about. You know, I'm always thinking about like, what's too much? How many pop-ups are too many? Like just always watching that consumer experience. And that's where I think having kind of a, a consumer first marketer who's leading e-com really ends up benefiting because then we have a really nice clean website where people can get to their information they're looking for really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've been in this space, marketing e-commerce for a while. You've worked at some amazing companies. I want to hear about maybe some trends right now that are on your radar that you're, you either think are overhyped or underhyped. And it can be 
anything. It doesn't have to be in furniture. It doesn't even have to be in e-commerce. It can literally just be anything where you're like, I just read about this and I think it's overhyped. Like just anything that comes to mind for that. <sighs> or underhyped. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I would say overhyped the whole NFTs, you know, crypto. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, is there any day that I don't read about or hear about crypto, NFTs, mm-hmm. anything like Probably that? Probably not. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm going to definitely say a little overhyped there. Mm-hmm. Uh, underhyped... Underhyped is how Slumberland has changed the mattress buying experience forever. <laughs> there you go. Need more case studies on Slumberland. <laughs> right. All right. The last question I have for you is just what are you most personally excited about over the next couple of years? Like, what are you most looking forward to? What are you excited to try? Yeah. You know, I love the wake up call that retail has had in terms of convenience. I love it. And, uh, you know, just read the other day. Target is testing, you know, returns in their pickup slots where you can also have a Starbucks delivered to you. That's nice. And, you know, Nordstrom has actually been doing curbside returns like for a year. Oh, yeah. You know, besides keeping an eye on kind of the little guy and what our startups doing, I love to keep an eye on like just sort of what's the best in class doing, right? Mm -hmm. But in general with retail, like my whole industry, it's been a wake up call for our whole industry. I think it's just, it's just been a wake up call for retail in general. And so, I personally benefit from those conveniences and I am super excited to see what other conveniences, you know, come out of this, mm-hmm. make my life easier. Oh my God, you know, just right in every way, shape or form, all the things, you know, grocery pickup, this and that. And we're like, I feel like we're just at the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, my one thought for you is like, if you had a champagne and shop series for Slumberlin, I mean, you could have all the women flocking in to test out mattresses. Just putting that out there. I know I would come even though I don't like shopping very much, but hey, there's my idea for the day. <laughs> I love it. It is a great idea. And um, I will just tell you that you are, you're sniffing around a good area, Stephanie. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, Sheila, thank you so much for hopping on the show today. It's been yeah, really fun chatting with you. Where can people learn more about you and the work you're up to at Slumberland? Yeah, um, thank you. So I'm on LinkedIn, of course. Uh, Sheila Erickson is the head of marketing and e-com at Slumberland. And then Slumberland is slumberland.com. And if you're in the Midwest, we have some really amazingly beautiful stores. And if you get into a store, you will have an excellent experience and see some pretty incredible value. Um, So you'll enjoy it. Yep. So in-store or online, we'd love to see you either way. Amazing. Thanks, Sheila. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.